Hey, Teresa, are you ready, Teresa, to record an episode, Teresa? Yes. It's Schmanners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. People at home can't see. You're doing a lot of neck work. A lot of neck work. And it's fun, too, because you have some dangly (laughs) earrings on, so it's like- They're swishing. It's a whole visual extravaganza. Well, I'm glad that you can see it. Hi. Hello. So do you want to tell the people at home about today's episode? Um, and who we'll be discussing for real? <laughs> well, what Travis is alluding to is we had a little bit of a goof up. A little bit of a crossed wire. So we were like, hey, remember that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Who's that guy who wrote that book? Yeah. Ah, yes. Carnegie. Yes. Hmm. So I looked up a man named Andrew Carnegie. Um, I looked up Dale <laughs> Carnegie and researched how to win friends and influence people. Right. So um, I've learned a lot about the steel magnate, uh-huh. Andrew Carnegie. Um, and he was a very, he was, you know, everybody has their problems, but he did give a lot of money to a lot of different things. Now, how much did Andrew Carnegie have to do with manners and etiquette? Nothing. Okay, cool. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about Dale Carnegie and how to win friends and influence people. Yes. The first thing that I should mention is his last name might actually be pronounced Carnegie. Okay. Because they're not related. Oh, you guys. All right. Um, and the reason that the other guy, Andrew Carnegie, his name is pronounced that way because it's a Scottish name. It's a Scottish pronunciation. Um, whereas Dale Carnegie probably changed his name to the Carnegie spelling later in life. Now, should we just, to make it simpler, should we just call, start calling him Daily C? To make it, I mean, a bit we clearer. could probably just say Dale. Daily C. We you could probably D Dong. We could probably just say Dale. DC, D Run DC, DC Talk. Dale. Dale. How about that? With like eight more A's. No. And two E's, but you can't hear them. Can we start? Uh huh. <laughs> so, I, I'm very curious about this because, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday too. Um. We, since doing our Emily Post episode, I feel like yeah. we have been chasing that rainbow, trying to get those lucky charms in the form of another, like, kind of uh, blockbuster person story and like And we've Emily run Post. across, we've run across a bunch of people who have, you know, contributed to etiquette as we know it today, but not really, like, with the, the, the wow factor. Yes. That not like Emily the Post how is there had. not a biopic about this or biopic, however you want to pronounce however it. However you want to pronounce it. Um, so I know nothing about Dale Carnegie, about Dale. About Dale. Or Chip. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm very curious, is he an Emily Post? Uh, 
sort of. Okay. Okay. So um, I wanted the book that you mentioned, How to Win Friends and Influence People. The funny thing about this book, so it was published in 1936, but it really? is- Really? That long ago? That long ago, but it is being constantly updated and and addended on, right? Well, because one of the things, I, and I'll talk more about like the lessons from the book later, but the thing that we should kind of point out is I think that, I don't know if this is explicit in the book or not, but- it's very business oriented. Absolutely, because as I will talk about later, Dale was all about business. So I assume there Business-y had to be guy. updates about like email and like right. phone calls. There and definitely stuff. is. There's an edition um, released. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but it is within the last ten to twenty years. Um, called in the digital age mm-hmm. right so how to win friends and influence people in the digital age there's another one uh that just came out actually the mini abridged edition of how to win friends and influence people and um i found mention in a washington post article about how to win friends friends and influence people 14 girls so this is like the chicken soup for the soul of it business. It is kind books. of, yeah. How to win friends and influence people for your dog. Right. How to win <laughs> friends and influence people grandparents edition. Yeah. Okay. So there it like I said it's constantly being updated and and re-edited and all the kind of stuff which is actually kind of what Dale did even when he was alive. Okay. So the, okay. Okay. We, anyway. We talked about all we've talked around Dale. So um, he was born in 1888 in Missouri, and his family were farmers. Um, so he had to, you know, help out on the farm, and he decided to go to school. Um, he went to State Teachers College in Warrensburg, Missouri. Uh, he didn't didn't graduate uh, huh. because he didn't pass Latin, but. Who, who who needs it? Who needs it? He ended up going um, into sales pretty I much say that. directly. Listen, if you're listening and you're like, I love Latin. I was just, jo- I don't know any Latin. I'm sorry. It was a joke. Please forgive me. Pluribus unum. I know that. I mean, I know. I know some Latin. I know, you know. Carpe diem. Yes. I know Latin. I've heard on cartoons before. Yes. <laughs> okay. So he went pretty much directly into sales. He decided that the teachery thing wasn't his jam at that time. So he went into sales and he would sell correspondence courses, mm-hmm. um, meats, soap, lard. Uh, he worked for a very long time for the Armor and Company. Um, and he became very successful in Omaha, Nebraska. And he became the national leader for the that say, sales territory. Intra- it's always so interesting for me to think about what sales used to be mm-hmm. right because like i think i am a fairly good salesperson right but that, that is from working like retail stores right where the customers come to you right as opposed to this time period where it was like i'm traveling around the country either selling to individuals or going to stores mm-hmm. and convincing them to carry your products exactly it's just it it was just such a different thing i always think about that when uh, that's a horse of a different color okay um <laughs> like when we did death of a salesman in college right and you think about this idea of like what a salesman used to be or like music man mm-hmm. you know where you're like you gotta know the territory yeah 
Um, so then moving on to another time in his life in the way of like career change. Um, in 1911, he quit that job. And so 1911, 23. Yeah. OK. Uh, wanted to go back into education. Right. So he's kind of wavering a little bit back and forth. This makes so much sense to me, because when I think about Dale Carnegie, I think about sales and teaching people about how to be better at it. Right. Right. So it's like this is like I mean, those are the two things that he was good at. Right. This is like the scene. I think it's Eddie Izzard has a joke uh, of like the scene where you see a young uh, like uh, who not Paul McCartney, who's the other one? John Lennon like walking down the street a little like child John Lennon and he looks in a window and he sees a guitar and us watching the movie is like this is the moment like that's how I see Dale Carnegie a little bit sure um but he's kind of he's he's oscillating between these two uh the educational aspect and the sales aspect and he kind of wavered between the two for a very long time um and he moved to New York at this point and attended the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. So he's got this kind of actor. It feels almost like actor is kind of in the middle yeah. between sales and educate because you're you are trying to sell something as an actor. Um, but there's a lot more. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to say posturing, but there is a there's that's almost the middle ground in a way. Um, and he actually got an acting job. He was like a touring actor. Um, but like so many actors, he uh, wasn't to be. Because he got too rich? No. Oh, okay. No. Uh, he found himself living pretty much paycheck to paycheck at a YMCA. Okay. Yeah. So, at the Y... Um, in 1912, he finally persuaded the the Y manager to let him teach in the Y. Um, and, you know, he didn't really know what he was going to be teaching. So he, you know, started to market this as kind of like a public speaking course. Okay. Right? Um, and he, he tried. He tried to use public speaking from an actor standpoint at first, but the people in his course were more interested in like the business side. So all the actory games that he was trying to get them to play made them nervous and upset and felt like they were their time was being wasted. It's so interesting to me because like the pendulum, a pendulum swing is always interesting to watch in like society. And I think about now, I we still have a lot of friends who do theater professionally, and there is such a huge demand from businesses mm -hmm. for people to come to their offices and like do acting classes for business. Yeah. So it's like just teaching people how to be more comfortable giving presentations, how to make eye contact, how to deliver a speech in front of your shareholders, and that right. kind of thing. And like, it's a big business now of like totally. bringing actors in. And having them teach you how to be better at business. It's exactly. just so interesting to hear it happening back in like 1912 <laughs> too. So 
Um, I found in several places that he used this technique, which actually is quite an old technique and is used now in group therapy sessions, where instead of having them play these actor games and, you know, make believe, he wanted them to speak truthfully about something that made them angry. Okay. And he found when they were recalling these angry feelings that their nervousness went away. Um. Teresa, so, would you like to speak truthfully about something that makes you angry? <laughs> N- your face is telling me no? no. Okay, cool. Moving okay. on. <laughs> um, I get angry when I eat olives, and no one has told me that they haven't been pitted, and I bite into the olive, and it's like, oh, a pit. I'm not nervous anymore. Did that, is that how Were it Were you nervous before? No. Oh, well. Uh, I'm, not, I'm still not nervous. <laughs> okay, go on. All right. This is when he starts to really come into his own as far as, like, writing. Um, His first best-selling book was called Public Speaking and Influencing Men in Business, which was basically him teaching the class that he was teaching Mm -hmm. uh, through this book. And that was published in 1913. And um, he... Wrote several other books, uh, some of them novels. Um, He wrote a fact book about Abraham Lincoln, just kind of like curious and interesting facts about Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Um, But then this is where the name change happens. In 1913, he was making enough money to rent an office at the Carnegie Hall for his lectures. And that's when he changed the spelling of his name. Okay, so... Probably. Okay, so we can infer that he wanted people to make that connection. I think so. I'm just like, Carnegie, that's a very successful name. Like, if you change your last name to Rockefeller, Mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm not related, and people are like, yes, but Rockefeller, Mm -hmm. what a powerful and influential name. That that is the the inkling that I get. Okay. Okay, I will say this makes complete sense to me. Um, because, and you'll hear more about this when we discuss how to influence and influence people, but I, and I think this is different from a lot of like biographies we've done so far and works we've talked about of like, Dar- Carnegie's work is much more like about presentation and less about like how to change your behavior or how to improve your etiquette, but more how to present yourself better. Well, I think that... The two are not disconnected. Mm -hmm. They're definitely related um, because if you etiquette is about the rules we all follow to get along in society. And if these these little helpful nuggets um, are something that helps you get along better in society, I I would say that it is etiquette. Well, maybe the difference is, is like it's easier. I was going to say that, like, I think about Emily Post more as like societal in the way of like you know casual you know at home society and carnegie is more businessy certainly but maybe it's better to say like the that post emily post is more about like social mores well if i was going to like put it in a snappy sentence i would say that emily post describes the rules of the game Whereas How to Win Friends and Influence People describes how to win the game. So it's strategy versus rules. Exactly. Okay. I like that. Did you come up with that? Yeah, just that's now. That's really good. Hey, thanks. Oh, that's so good. Um, so is there anything else you have to tell me about Dale Carnegie? A couple of things. 
Um, like a lot of people in the stock market market crash of 1929, he lost a ton of money mm-hmm. um, and basically had to build everything back up there. So that's why some of his earlier works are not as popular because it was after after the crash. Yeah. Everything just kind of stopped. Um, but then 1936, is that what I said? Yes. Yes. Sorry. 1936. The most famous book, How to Influence Friends and Influence People. Um, he was pretty much in a state of shock. It was not supposed to, like, he didn't conceive of it as this is going to be a bestseller forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but to date, it has sold 15 million copies. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. Okay. And is credited as being one of the first self-help books. Okay. Um. Then it was translated into 40 languages. And there is a course, the Dale Carnegie course, still being used today. Okay. And is Dale Carnegie still alive? Uh, no. Okay. All he right. died in uh, 1955 of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh. Yeah. He was only 66. Oh. Okay. Well... I am very excited to talk about the lessons that one can glean from how to win friends and influence people. But first, let's take it to some thank you notes for our sponsors. Schmanners is supported in part by Zola. They're reinventing wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. Can we go back in time and get married again so we can use Zola? Um... You don't have to get married to use Zola. We just have to pretend like we're getting married again? No, I think we could make a registry even if we weren't getting married. Oh, but okay. I don't know why anyone would buy stuff for us. Because we're adorable and lovely and nice and people like to buy things for people. Don't listen. Maybe you could use it for a birthday. Oh, okay. Cool. Zola Registry has everything you love about your favorite department store, plus things like honeymoon funds, fitness classes, wine subscriptions, and a bunch more um and it's very easy to use uh the website interface is quite intuitive i really enjoyed exploring it um and they have over 500 top brands equaling over 50,000 gifts experiences and cash funds i mean you'd be spoiled for choice basically i'll tell you the the feature that's my favorite is they have an option called group gifting so like if there's a kind of big price item that you want and you know that, like, no one person would be able to get it for you. With group gifting, people can go in on bigger items and multiple people contribute to it to get that bigger item for you, which is a great idea. And they have a price price matching feature and free shipping every day. The thing that I really like about the free shipping is if you are buying something off of someone's registry, you can they can choose whether they want it shipped to their home, to someone else's home, ship it after the wedding, before the wedding. Like, it is so easy to get exactly what you want when you want it. That's a great idea because, like, you know, if you're getting married and then moving, like, two weeks later or something, you wouldn't want to have all this new stuff that you'd have to ship. You could just have it shipped to wherever you're going. Exactly. That's great. So with Zola, you can receive a $50 credit towards your registry if you go to Zola.com slash Schmanners. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. Uh, I just want to tell you this week about Squarespace. Now, listen, I love Squarespace, and I mean that sincerely, because in this day and age, 
everybody should have a website. Or, I, at the very least, I would say, if you are trying to make a place for yourself in the digital space, if you're like, you know what, I'm going to start a podcast, or I want to sell my photography, or I want to do a blog, or whatever. If you're trying to make a place for yourself in the internet, you need a website. And with Squarespace, it's so easy and anyone can do it, even me. I know nothing about coding. I know nothing about programming. But with Squarespace, I have set up multiple websites, and each one took me like a half hour. And then the amazing thing is it's so easy to go in and edit and update and add new stuff because it's incredibly user-friendly. They've got 24-7 help. And because it's so popular, you can also go on YouTube and find all kinds of like tutorials and stuff and all kinds of guides all over the internet to help you figure out how to do everything on Squarespace. It's amazing. And they have beautiful templates and e-commerce functionality. So like if you want to sell stuff through your Squarespace site, everything's optimized for mobile. You don't have to do anything special for it to show up well on people's phones. And they can help you buy domains, so you don't even have to worry about registering that on like a separate site or anything. It's amazing. So go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SHMANNERS, that's S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S, and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com and enter the code SHMANNERS. Go, start a website. What are you waiting for? Do you love books? Want to get more out of all that reading you do? I'm Bria Grant. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. Join us every Thursday on Reading Glasses, where we help you read better. Reading Glasses is a show about book culture, teaching you how to enhance your literary life and solve your bookish problems, like how do you get out of a reading slump? What's the best book light to use in bed while your partner is trying to sleep? Where do you hide the bodies of the people who talk while you're trying to read? In the basement of my apartment building. Ooh, that's a good place. Let Bria and I improve your reading life every Thursday on Reading Glasses, Maximum Fun's new culture podcast learn Learn how to to read read better welcome everyone to the live wrestling spectacular in los angeles so far the world's most boring wrestling podcast has been destroying the competition isn't there anyone who can save us from this travesty wait could it be it's titan fights the perfect wrestling podcast Titan Fights is here to save us from the monotony of boring wrestling podcasts with hilarious conversations. Woke trips through the history of wrestling. And joke about the finer points of people wearing spandex. What a match! And the Titan Fights podcast will be back every week. Thursdays on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Please, these hosts have families. Tyson Fights Podcast. Tyson Fights. Okay, so I want to share with you some of the takeaways from How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes, tell me about this very successful book. But first, Ah. I want to make a couple caveats. Okay. I do know Latin. Um, (laughs) So... Caveat one, and I think this is true of a lot of etiquette and manners, it's not necessarily about how to be a better person. It's not necessarily about morality, right? It more okay. is it's about navigating interactions. Nav- you know what I mean? So I think I jokingly said to Teresa that an alternate title for this book could be how to manipulate people and trick them into liking you. And 
Sure, 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 sure. Right. But the thing is, you it, it's like it's like um oh, it's like the super soldier serum for uh Captain America. Uh-huh. Right? Depending on who uses Depending it. Depending on yes. who uses it, it could be used for good or for evil. That is right. So my point being that the lessons, the takeaways from how to win friends and influence people are not inherently good. It's not like it, it doesn't make you nicer. Now, that said, I definitely think that a lot of these are like, these will make people like you more. And and also, if, if used for good, <laughs> people will walk away from their interactions with you happier, right? But there's some stuff in here that I think if I didn't give that caveat, it would sound like, wow, that sounds really manipulative. And it is, right? It's all about whether or not you use it for good or for evil. So I just want to say that up front. Because I don't want to sound like we are endorsing using this to get away with stuff. You Absolutely know? not. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of like idioms that are very similar to some of the things in here. You know, like you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Right. And that's the thing is also a lot of these, as I was reading through them, I, I found a Business Insider article titled 12 Lessons from How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that's what I'll be referencing a lot. And as you hear them and as i read through them a lot of them like yeah that yeah that makes complete sense that doesn't sound revolutionary but one i would say it might sound commonplace to you because he did write this like you know almost 90 years ago the 30s yeah so people have been using these tactics for a very long time but two i think we talked about this when we talked about ben franklin but the thing about like lessons and idioms and stuff is it's it's commonplace wisdom made memorable right? so that it like sticks with you. So for example, one of the first lessons is avoid criticizing, condemning, or complaining. Basically the idea being that rather than like say someone's doing a bad job or um, if you're trying to sell something to someone and you're trying to compare it to a competitor, rather than saying they're bad and I'm good, instead just focus on the reasons you are good. Mm-hmm. Right. So that way it is a more positive interaction instead of being focused on negativity about why someone else is not good. It's about why you are good. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Right. And and it, this is more of like I'm going to focus on my strengths instead of someone else's weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And this is a very good lesson if you're focusing on like uh, like if you want a promotion. Right. And you right. know that someone else is up for the promotion. Rather than say, you shouldn't hire Tim for this promotion because he's lazy and always late and blah, 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 right? Because you might be right, but it is going to make you seem negative. And petty. Right. As opposed to if you went in there and said, I would be perfect for this promotion because I am hardworking, I am on time, and, you know, that kind of stuff where it's like, exactly, this is a very positive, I feel positive feelings about you. I talked to the casting director once uh, who they like made a presentation to one of our acting classes and made the point of like, if even if you are like the most qualified actor in the audition, but you seem kind of gruff and standoffish and everything, you might be incredibly talented, but that doesn't mean they want to hang out with you on set all day or like hang out with you at the after party. And that's the thing is, it's not just being the most qualified. Sometimes it's like, oh, I have very positive feelings about this Mm -hmm, person. mm -hmm. That was a positive interaction. I look forward to working with them. 
I mean, the truth is we spend a lot of time with people that we work with and you want to want to spend time with them. Right. And the same with like if you're trying to sell something to someone, right, rather than focusing on like why the car they have now is terrible, make them feel good about the car they are looking to buy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, So the second lesson is praise others' achievements. Now, once again, that seems like, oh, yeah, of course. But the thing is, and I've been a boss um, and I have had many bosses in my life. And the thing is, it's really easy to point out when someone does something wrong. Right. Because that's it's easy. Right. And then when someone just does their job well, it's also easy to fall into the trap of like, well, that's what I expected them to do. So oftentimes when someone does something well, it goes unremarked because it seems like the expected outcome. Right. And you only point out when someone messes up. And so it's important that you remember to highlight when people do well. Right. Not just when they make mistakes. Absolutely. Because and it's. I think this also goes into, like, uh, so when we speak about, like, animal training, I was a dog trainer for a while. <laughs> Listen, humans are animals. Uh, I was a dog trainer for a while, right? And this is where you get the, you know, more flies with honey kind of thing, right? Because I know, at least my style of dog training, is that if you reward good behavior. So, for example, if you want to train your dog to stop barking, don't punish them when they bark. But instead, reward them, reward when, them when they stop barking, right? Because yeah. that way they will seek out positive uh, positive response rather than making them afraid of negative response. Because if we're talking about now a boss-employee relationship, if you only criticize when they do something wrong, you are making it so, one, they hope they don't get noticed, which is not a good way for someone to excel. And two, they are going to do the bare minimum good to not get yelled at as mm-hmm. opposed to encouraging them to strive for excellence. Um, so number three, be empathetic. And so this is if, if someone's having a problem or someone's falling short or just someone is doing something different than you, rather than just try to tell them why your way is right, try to see things from their point of view, try to understand you know, why they're doing something their way or why they are feeling the way that they're feeling. So, for example, you know, someone seems frustrated rather than just say, like, hey, I need you to focus on this. Instead, think, like, well, why are they frustrated? Well, they probably were hoping to have this done before now, and I know that this new thing got added, so maybe if I take this new thing off their plate... They'll feel more, you know, that kind of thing. So rather than just tell someone do better, think about why they are doing things the way that they are. So far, so good. I agree with all of these. So the fourth one, I think, is when we start to get a little bit into dangerous possible manipulation territory. Okay. And it is know the value of charm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, again, this slides along the line with... You catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Right. But here's the thing. I mean, charisma is something. Charm charm can go too far, right? Okay. Now you're in a kind of cult-like mentality of desiring approval from the person in charge because you like and respect them so much that it's no longer about the job or the work or your performance, but more about winning their approval. And that's where I think it can get really dangerous or that idea of like, 
cult of personality of like this person just so likable and charming that it's hard to see fault in them because mm. that's the one thing uh and i'm well we can jump down uh, well i would i would like to interject here um i also read an article an article um by ron charles from the washington washington post um about how he said that one of the things that dale insisted was that he was not suggesting false flattery. Yes. Right? He wasn't suggesting that. He wanted his students to give honest and sincere appreciation. Um, so I think that it's it's not just about, you know, be charming. It's about appreciating people for who they are. And I think that goes... That goes along with number two, praise others' achievements, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not fault, not just like, hey, you're great and everything you do is great and that was a great job, like specific and honest. Um, but I think the thing about charm, I think what it works best is you might be the most amazing boss in the world, but if your like tone is rough and like you never smile and you never like make eye contact and engage and you don't make people feel welcome all that right mm-hmm. then it just you're you're there's a roadblock there of like your interactions with people or it's like and that's where trying to be a little more charming a little more charismatic right would help everybody in that situation um so this next one number five this is i think maybe the biggest la- takeaway for like the win friends part this mm-hmm. is something that I still work on to this day, but one of the main lessons that Justin repeats to me all the time, and he is right, and number five is encourage people to talk about themselves. So the mistake that I make, and I think other people make this too, is thinking that people will like me if I impress them. And the way to impress them is to tell them about myself. Right. Oh, here's a funny story about me. Here's something cool I did once that's interesting. And I will make people interested in me by telling them interesting things about myself. And what I've learned is that does make you sound interesting. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean everyone walks away from that interaction thinking this is someone I like spending time with. For example, just because you go to a stand up comedy show and laugh at their jokes doesn't make you friends with that person, <laughs> right? That's true. And so instead, ask them about themselves and be interested in them because there is nothing, as evidenced by myself, there's nothing people like talking about more than themselves. And so if you are someone who is an attentive listener who is interested in them, it makes them walk away with a more positive experience from that interaction. And I think what it does is it it fosters... A, a dialogue, right? So that you're not, if, if both of the people in the conversation are genuinely interested in what the other person has to say, this it's something that, that makes you, it, leave, it leaves you feeling like you have made a connection with another person. Right, it's the difference between a conversation and an interview. Right. right? It's not just, tell me about yourself, I am this. Tell me about your favorite color, it is this. It is going back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so number six, know when to use suggestions instead of direct orders. So this does not mean one of my faults, which is to say, hey, could you do me a favor? When actually what I mean to say is I need you to do this. This is so, for example, if you see something, do someone doing something wrong or doing something 
a way that isn't the best, maybe is a better way to put it, instead of saying, do it this way, mm-hmm. say, what would you think about doing it like this? Or would it be... I think that this also goes into the idea of, of trying to make someone think it was their idea yes. to do something. And I, I can see how that can come across as a little manipulative. But the fact of the matter is when people feel inspired to do something, they do a better job instead of feel like they've been told exactly how to do things. Right. So rather than being a being told what to do scenario, it feels a lot more collaborative mm-hmm. because now it feels like we're coming up with the solution together instead of me saying, do this. Now it feels collaborative when I say, well, what would you think if we did this? Or should we try this? You know, so now it's a suggestion rather than an order. It just makes it a little bit easier to process. Um, Number seven, and this is such an important one. I think this is important for friends and work, but also parents. And that is acknowledge your own mistakes. Because I think that it's very easy to fall into the mistake of like, I need to be better than them. Like, I need to be a pillar that they can count on and, you know, represent strength and be a powerful leader or whatever. Well, sure, but you know what happens when you get put up on a pedestal. Yep. And the other problem is that assumes they don't know you've made a mistake, right? (laughs) And so I think that it is so important to be able to say, like, you know what? You're right. Like, I I shouldn't have done it that way. Thank you so much. Or, Or something like that where just acknowledging that you are also imperfect and it makes when you acknowledge your own mistakes, it makes it easier for people to forgive you. I mean, frankly. absolutely, Because it's harder for someone to let something go when you don't acknowledge it, you know? And I, I think that so often people fall under the uh, misconception that like, well, this will blow over and it's better if we just don't acknowledge it. But I think that that is frankly something it, like that's a, a deflection. That's something right. someone thinks to try to just avoid saying I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I'll see if I can move a little faster because I know I'm uh, number eight, respect others, dignity. There's a really uh, good yeah. well. There's a really good point made about this about like when you have to fire someone or like yeah. if you have to break up with someone of acknowledging their dignity, being honest with them, being direct, but being straightforward. Because one, you never know when you might work with them again. But two, like, don't enjoy their suffering. Or, yeah, they're human beings and they deserve respect for that. Um, That's number the thing. number nine. This is another big takeaway, I think, for friend the friend part of it. Don't try winning an argument, right? We talked about this in our uh, negotiation versus um, confrontation. Yeah, no, not confrontation. What was the other one? Cooperation or yeah. no negotiation versus uh, oh, what is it? compromise? Compromise. Yes, exactly. Where you want everybody to win instead of nobody getting exactly what they want. So this one and number 10 to me also feel disingenuous, right? Because the fact of the matter is this is kind of telling you like, don't be upset when actually I think it's completely okay to be upset, right? If your friend is wrong and they're doing something that upsets you, right? I think it's okay to be upset about that and be angry about it. But not to let your feelings rule you, I think is what well, so- is the, the, the tone of the matter. I think that's the thing, right? I think there's a difference between your friend doing something that hurts you and you confronting them about it versus like, what movie should we go see tonight? Or how come you never let me pick where we're going to eat dinner, right? 
don't try to win that argument because if you win that argument, you still lose, right? Because what never happens is someone going, okay, you're right. And I feel really good about that. <laughs> like that's, so don't try to win the argument instead, try to solve the problem. I think it would be a I better think way to look at it. That's a great way to look at it. Um, number 10, be friendly no matter how angry the other person may be. And now this is, I also think, like I was saying, a bit of a tightrope, right? Because I think this applies more to sales than to like social, right? Because I've worked return counters before. Mm. And when someone comes in and they're very angry about something, if you get angry with them or angry at them for being angry, it is not going to go well from a business point of view. But I also think that, I mean, the idea of trying to, to not escalate a situation till it gets out of hands because like there's so many there's so many things that you can do more mindfully when you are not clouded by emotion um and i think that that's that's really the tone of this you know yes i and i think just like when we talk about sometimes of like this is the by the book etiquette answer yes right that doesn't mean you're a bad person for doing like that's the thing of like if your friend upsets you and you're angry it's okay to get angry absolutely but i would also say the other side of this would be i like to think about it as like if my friend comes to me angry about something i did I would much rather try to stay calm and hear them, mm -hmm. listen to them, rather than getting angry in response to their anger. You know? Right. Um, number 11, reach common ground as soon as possible. So basically, th I, I the first thing that popped in my head is like the returns desk, right? Mm -hmm. So if the person comes and they're like, I, I, you know, I demand satisfaction, right? I want to be happy. And you say... I also want you to be happy. I also want to resolve this, right? So just establishing, even if you disagree about something, being able to say like, you know what? Your happiness is important to me too. Or like, I also care about this issue. I think the the thing that pops in my mind is the idea of being a manager and talking about how we are all trying to accomplish the same goal. We're right. on the same team. It's not the staff versus the managing staff. You know, so, for example, if this is like an argument with a friend or with a partner, you might say, like, yes, I, I also acknowledge that our communication isn't where it needs to be something where it's like, I agree with you, because the more you can focus on what you agree on and build that. Right. It's much easier to build a pathway of agreement than try to solve every disagree. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. Starting from a positive place gets better positive results, basically. Um, and finally, and this we kind of hinted at this earlier, which is get others to think your conclusion is their own. Now, that <laughs> one, right, That that is where I think that that can sound manipulative, right? Because I think the negative interpretation of that could, would be get your own way by making someone think it's their way. But I think a better way to think about it is the idea of, like, if you already know the solution to the problem, rather than just tell the person have them come up with it. And this makes me think about parenting, right? Okay, yeah. Where rather than just say, okay, yeah, four plus four is eight. Instead say, okay, well, if there are four of these and then you add four more, how many is that? Right? You know the solution and they're coming up with it on their own. I think that that maybe is a better way to think about it. That said, like, a better way. Okay, so this is what it says in the article. No one can be forced to truly believe something. Carnegie wrote, and that's why the most persuasive people know the power of suggestion over demands. 
And I think that that's that rather than just say, this is what I want, the suggestion makes them think it's what they want to. Like I said, the suggestion makes them think that that is what everyone wants. Yes. So including themselves, right? This is the one that I think can most easily fall into manipulation. Use for evil. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Because it is like, how do you get what you want by making someone think it's what they want? Right. That ain't great. But if you're talking about a boss employee kind of thing, that is better than just ordering everyone to do what you want. So I can see where that generates more powerful or more positive emotions. Eh, Okay. So that's just like 12 takeaway lessons. I think that I, I will be honest, I have kind of spot read the book and I have listened to chunks of it. I've never just like read the whole thing. I'm going to sit down and do that. I think everyone should. Thank you for joining us. Oh, there's one more thing. And it wasn't in this article, but it talks about like, so for example, the, the like positive feelings and, uh, charm is like how different it is to speak through a smile versus just Certainly. speaking straight out. I believe that you can hear a smile. I always smile when I talk to people on the telephone, even even if like I know, I mean, obviously I know that they can't see me, but it, I, I believe it makes me sound friendlier. Well, so here's the difference. Thank you all for joining us on this episode. Thank you all for joining us on this episode. And in the second one, I was smiling. You were. Hi. Um, so thank you. You have a great smile. Your smile hey, makes me Hey, thank you smile. very much. I have a big face. <laughs> you big face. Um, so thank you for joining us. Um, and, you know, if you like this episode, please share it with people. Rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at SchmannersCast. Um, you yeah. can email us at schmannerscast at gmail.com. We're on MaximumFun.org, and there's a ton of other great shows on there. Um, who do we thank for stuff? We always thank Brent, Brentel Floss Black, for our theme music, Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art, and Keely Weiss Photography for our Facebook uh, group banner, which is a fan-run Facebook group called Schmanners Fanners. Join that today for some polite discourse. Uh, and that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.